This episode of the Single Tracks Podcast is sponsored by Glowworm Lights. Glowworm is a mountain bike light brand founded almost a decade ago by two mountain bikers in New Zealand, and today the company offers some of the highest quality bike lights on the market, including Bluetooth control and complete customization through their app. Glowworm's complete line of lights start at 1,200 lumens and range up to a blinding 3,600 lumens, all at reasonable prices. Save 15% off all light systems on the Glowworm website with the coupon code SINGLETRACKS2021. Shop for lights at glowwormlights.co.nz and be sure to check for the link in the show notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff and today my guest is Ryan Standish. Ryan is a professional mountain bike racer from Australia who is currently living in the U.S. In addition to competing in top-level mountain bike and gravel races, he's also working to raise awareness for multiple sclerosis. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. It's it's awesome to to be on today. Yeah, well... Tell us first, how long have you been riding mountain bikes and how old were you when you first realized that you were pretty fast at it? Ooh, riding, riding mountain bikes. I think got into it with my dad probably at least 15 years ago. I think I was like 10 or 11 Hmm. um, Mm -hmm. when I started, started riding and then started like there are a couple local fast guys in, in Alice Springs, Australia, um, that went and and rode for Australia at world champs and some world cups. So for being a small town, it was, there was some talent there. And up, I was probably 13 or 14. So 15 years ago when I was like, yeah. I actually want to try and try and race and do, do this. Was your dad a mountain biker? You said, you said your dad got you into it. Was he a rider? Yeah. He rode mountain bikes. He was more like he did went touring and back before bike packing was was cool i think right <laughs> but that was more what like him and my mom would go on bike packing or touring trips oh cool and then do the occasional fundraiser as well they didn't really they didn't compete but they did um more fun adventure rides mm-hmm. but he was definitely a big big influence getting me into into the sport yeah would you say like were you kind of did you feel like or have people ever said like you're a natural like as soon as you started was it obvious like whoa this this kid can can move pretty fast ah i don't even know that's a good question (laughs) i think it kind of built over it was like a slow progression and then i realized i was good enough to to be competitive racing Mm -hmm. and kind of tried to or i found a coach and the local bike shop he was super good technically so he helped me out kind of with the skills and had my coach doing doing the the training program side of it and my my parents were always super supportive so it was kind of like I'd started off I played soccer and baseball and cricket and all these other sports and then was like yeah when I got into riding those all kind of just faded away and I was like I'm super into this bike stuff so yeah that's cool well, you mentioned that you grew up in sort of a small town in Alice Springs, Australia, which for those who don't know is is very remote, right? It's like in the middle of the continent. So I'm curious to know, how did you end up in the U.S.? Uh, kind of probably more of a story how I ended up out there and then back here. So I was born in, in the U.S. and my 
parents got jobs out there in, in Alice Springs, super remote. Oh, wow. And that was when I, when I was two. So we moved out there. Okay. When I was two, spent my whole childhood and, and everything out there. Then when I finished high school, went and took a gap year and then ended up at Fort Lewis College in Durango. Mm-hmm. So came back to go to school at okay in Colorado in Durango and and that was also a story of getting there because I went on one of the USAC sort of development mountain bike camps in Europe mm-hmm. back in it must have been 2010 I think and okay I met who else was there there was uh, Tyson McElvin Keegan Swenson who else um, Howard Grotz was there so we did like a couple of swiss cups and and world cups on that trip and mm. then one of the coaches there was the coach at fort lewis and howard and payson and everyone was going to fort lewis in two years so i was like okay that's that should be where i where i go to yeah that's cool well yeah in some of uh, our coverage of the world cup i wrote that you were an american i referred to you as an american and somebody was like no he's australian and so yeah like how does that even work right because you were racing for team usa sounds like you were born in the u.s um but then yeah lived in australia a lot you don't have like a you know australian accent or a very you know pronounced one so like yeah what's what's the deal no it's not (laughs) my accent's not very strong so i am officially american okay and just grew up in australia and have permanent residency there but i can't necessarily i can't represent the the country um which yeah used to i used to get super bummed about that because i grew up there and and was like i'm australian but um (laughs) and i used to my accent used to be a lot stronger but now i've been yeah spent too much time over in the states i think (laughs) <laughs> but, yeah but yeah so i i do race for america but. do you have a lot of fans though in australia or like yeah do people wave the flag at you when you're when you're in a race and and stuff like that i think not i mean the scene is is smaller in australia i think and a lot of the guys guys and girls that i raced with growing up are still racing so i've still got mm-hmm my my racing friends in Australia, but I don't think like if I was to go back, I don't think like fans fans I got air quotes. Uh, I don't think fans would know <laughs> who I was in Australia. But I think yeah, like obviously being from a small town or growing up in a small town, I go back home and and everyone kind of knows who I am or knows my parents or knows my brother or my sister or like it's like someone yeah you always know. Yeah, people always recognize you in town. They're like I didn't know you were around like, uh, <laughs> back for back for a little while. Yeah, that's cool. Well, as I mentioned last month, you competed in the World Cup in West Virginia in the short track and the cross country race. Was that your first World Cup race, or at least as a as an elite uh, athlete? Uh, it was my second World Cup race. My first and likely only ever short track world cup <laughs> the the way that worked out with points and stuff coming from early 2020 and not this year worked out perfectly in my favor mm-hmm. to to get to start 
found out at at noon that morning that or that day oh, wow. that we were racing that we were in the race at five so yeah that was that was interesting and but as far as elite world cups the the only other elite one i've done is snowshoe in 2019 okay cool and before that before that i had done a couple as a u23 and then back when they had a full junior world cup series i did a couple races back then as well yeah interesting well so for the short track race um and then also the cross country race at snowshoe last month you wore a pair of hand up jorts and quickly became known as jorts guy among the fans um i was there and you know by like the i don't know probably the second or third lap on the short track race i could hear people like in the crowd they're like hey did you see the guy wearing the jorts and so yeah it was it was kind of a kind of a big deal why did you decide to wear jorts in a world cup race it's funny it's something we kind of started doing it in when was that it must have been in college we we would do yeah jort track and you'd wear jorts during the <laughs> in the short track at the collegiate events so yeah and then i kind of started doing that at the like pro xct like the u.s cup series mm -hmm. here in the short track as but would wear shorts for those and then i was like at the world cup i was like well why not <laughs> it like yeah. it's still kind of funny to do it as do it at the the highest level of short track racing in the in the world and never like it was actually funny i talked to uh, Stephen DeVoust when we were warming up and he was racing in the U USA kit mm -hmm. and I was like who do you think's gonna get more noise me and the jorts are you in the in the USAC kit yeah and I thought he was I thought the USA kits were gonna get more <laughs> more energy but yeah turns out I was <laughs> I was wrong the the jorts were a huge hit yeah I think it only worked because it was snowshoe to be honest <laughs> it was West right so. yeah well, maybe camo would have worked too, but yeah, I mean, I, it sounds like you were surprised. I think, you know, I was too, because I mean, plenty of people wear jorts on, I guess, obviously more casual rides. And it sounds like collegiate racing, that's somewhat of a common thing. Like did other athletes look at you weird? Like, is that a weird thing? Like, oh, those, those jorts are going to slow you down or like, or are people thinking like, oh, this guy's not taking it seriously. Like why, why do you think? that's such a big deal to wear something like jorts in a race like that i think it's just it's just different <laughs> i think that's why <laughs> well, and because because yeah. people do like with both hand up and and ripped in as well doing the the jort active active wear jorts mm -hmm. right with the four-way stretch and yeah they're actually super comfortable mm -hmm. it's not like i just cut off a pair of levi's and, <laughs> and i'm wearing right. those that might not like that might not be quite as as comfy, but I think I think the Europeans probably looked at that and were like, uh, "Who's that guy?" <laughs> right. But I like I don't, I don't know. I got uh, I think if I had done it in in Europe, it would it would people would look at you like, "Who's this guy? This clown?" Like yeah. Whereas in in doing it in West Virginia or in in North America, I think people get excited to to see someone having having a good time mm. and being out there and, and showing that you can have fun. I obviously wasn't competitive from a results standpoint, but also 
did about, I was about where I expected to be in those races. I mm-hmm. almost made it or I made it to the last lap on the, the short track. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I don't, I don't train as hard as Chris Blevins, so I'm not expecting <laughs> right, to be, right. a to big be accomplishment. Front. totally. Yeah. So, and to find out like that morning that, oh, you're racing short track today. So, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, we had one of, one of our writers, um, reviewed a number of pair of jorts, uh, I believe from hand up and from Ripton. But the thing I remember reading her review was, she said that like wearing jorts just made rides more fun because she like, because she had them on, she was like, okay, like I'm not taking this as seriously. Like I can just go out and like be a little more casual. And, you know, she felt like it even changed her riding style. Like, did you feel that at all? Like when you had them on, was the race more fun? I mean, obviously the fans were more (laughs) into it, so I'm sure that made it exciting. I think the, the race was definitely more fun. But whether that was because of the fans or, or just because I was actually having more fun. So I kind of, yeah. it was like this, uh, it just built on itself. Mm-hmm. So I was having more fun because I was in jorts and then the crowd was also having more fun because I was, I guess I was doing wheelies and stuff out there too. when I could, <laughs> when I could lift the front wheel up. So I, I mean, I think that's, I think she was right. I think jorts do make you have more fun. Mm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, so what is it like overall to race in the World Cup? Is it a lot different from other races that you compete in, like good or bad? I could see it being like more stressful, but also maybe a bit more exciting. The crowds are are bigger and louder. What's what's it like to race out there? Yeah, definitely the bigger crowds make it make it more fun and higher energy. And for for someone like me who like I, I know I'm not competitive and at the World Cup level, at least like racing at the front. And so there's not a, there wasn't a lot of pressure for results wise. Like I still want to have the best put together the best race that I can. But then as far as like comparing to the race or to racing in North America where you're racing at the at the front of the race. So it's a different dynamic in that mm-hmm. like I'm racing around in the forties and fifties at a world cup. And if I do something wrong, four people fought past me. And then right. if I, if I have a super good ride, I might pass like three or four guys on, on a lap. But yeah, yeah. As soon as you make a mistake, you're getting, you're getting passed. Whereas in, in the U S with just the domestic racing, you can, you kind of have some leeway to, to make mistakes and still be competitive at the, at the front of the race. So it's a different kind of pressure to like, I don't have pressure to perform from, from a results perspective, but like internally, I still want to, like, I wanted to finish on the lead lap of, of the XCO, Mm -hmm. which I didn't, didn't quite make it. Didn't put, didn't put that together, but I was made it to one to go, which isn't, isn't that bad. I think I was only, I was like eight minutes behind, behind the guys, which is where you get, that's that 80% or nine minutes as the mm-hmm. 80% rule that they, that they start pulling you. So mm-hmm. I was close, but yeah, yeah, not a huge focus moving forward. So we'll see, we'll see if I get back. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that like short track is, is definitely not 
your race, not generally the type of race you're going to be in, very different from an XCO race, which is itself shorter than most of the races it looks like that you normally do. You're doing these stage races, gravel grinders, like riding for many hours at a time and not just like an hour and a half or, you know, in the case of short track, like what was what it? 20 minutes? 20. Yeah. 20. It's usually between like 19 and 22 minutes, depending on the, on the course. Yeah. So, so what do you prefer? Like what's your favorite type of race and, and what do you think you're, you're most skilled at? I think my, my favorite I guess race series, which kind of results in type of race as well is the, these epic rides mm. races, which are like 40 to 50 miles and usually fall right around, right around three hours long. So that's, I think that's kind of where I perform the best. They, they usually have mm-hmm. a bunch of cool trails, like in a course that long, you aren't doing like a little three mile loop that's mm-hmm. super repetitive like an xco right you can actually go ride trails that that local people will ride as well like a lot of the xco courses mm-hmm. you ride these yeah. trails that no one ever rides in there <laughs> that lives there right they're made up they're not yeah they're not real <laughs> exactly they just they just build these little short loops so I think like, and those are the ones I have the most fun doing is those epic rides. And I guess the stage racing as well. Those like mountain bike stage racing are kind of my two, yeah. two favorite ones. And this year you, you mentioned, I kind of got into more of the, and like longer endurance stuff with the gravel racing mm-hmm. Yeah, and still trying to, I also did a, still a fair bit of XCO racing as well so i was trying to balance this like short track and xco fitness with like doing unbound or doing yeah, yeah like <laughs> very different steamboat gravel it's like yeah 20 minute or hour and a half races versus 11 to 12 hour race and trying to yeah i was trying to be good at all of it and mm-hmm. that kind of backfired but <laughs> yeah but i was like i was like okay at everything so Right. Well, more than okay, right? I mean, yeah, you got to remember what level you're at and and who's listening to this and and who's interviewing you. But have you considered like marathon or have you ever raced XC marathon? Is that maybe closer to your your skill set? I mean, it's still pretty short compared to those other rides that you're doing. Still short compared to Unbound. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do want to one day do Leadville. I mean, hopefully next year we'll see. Mm-hmm. Not that that's really a mountain bike or considered a like a true mountain bike race anymore. Mm-hmm. I think just because there's not really any single track, it's it's obviously a super hard day. Mm-hmm. But I do, yeah. Leadville's there. Uh, I did Telluride 100 last year, which is, I think it was 80 because it got stormed out. They they were like. Oh wow! Mudslides and stuff—they had to shorten the the course for that. But the marathon stuff is definitely kind of that, and stage races are where I'm hoping to mm-hmm. put a little more a little more focus and and probably still keep my toes in the gravel water. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe do the yeah. Unbound 100 instead of the 200. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. 
we'll see if they're if I'm allowed to to do the shorter one. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, but when we come back, we'll talk about recovery between races, Ryan's cooking show, and more. Stay tuned. Are you enjoying the Single Tracks podcast? Well, we could use your support. The small but dedicated Single Tracks team works hard to share the mountain bike information that inspires epic adventures. Through this podcast, our worldwide database of trail maps and photos, and daily news and reviews on the website. So, consider becoming a monthly, annual, or lifetime pro supporter and enjoy ad-free browsing on the website, free single track stickers in the mail, and discounts on merch for as little as $3 per month. Go to singletracks.com support to sign up and to find out other ways you can help support our mission. That's singletracks.com support. Thank you and happy trails. And we're back. So Ryan, in 2018, your race calendar looked sort of like a perpetual summer. You were jumping between hemispheres sort of nonstop from look like February to November. What was that like? And how were you able to recover after racing like back to back to back like that? I was younger than I am now. (laughs) (laughs) That was about three years ago. I feel like being 25, I could could just do that. But that year was was definitely an interesting one because I had the racing started in February. I think that was the Otway Odyssey, which is a marathon, Mm -hmm. kind of one of the best-known marathons in Australia, which I, Mm -hmm. I think, did I win that year? Yeah. So that was like super cool start to the season to yeah to win i guess the biggest marathon event in australia and then to at the time i was working full-time at the hospital in alice springs as a a pharmacy technician Mm. and working one or two days a week at the bike shop i was living at home with my parents i was like saving money to (laughs) come do this big trip to to the u.s and then Mm -hmm. and then in april i came over and and started the season in the u.s Mm -hmm. which was super super fun i kind of i didn't really have a place to stay i was just sleeping on couches and staying with friends <laughs> in durango and then staying with wow. with keegan in in utah and like my grandparents lived in live in denver so mm-hmm. stay with them and just kind of bounced around for for the summer and it was it was fun because it was just super dynamic kind of just making it to each race was was an adventure in itself <laughs> um, yeah and I think that, like, I guess recovery-wise, that was a fun mental recovery between mm. races was, like, staying with friends or, like, hanging out, doing, going on, on school, high country rides in, in Colorado or doing these cool, yeah, cool trips that were mentally rewarding and then to be, come into each race fresh. Did you feel like you were fresh in those races? Yeah, that season was like <laughs> I'm still trying to replicate that <laughs> now. <laughs> and I think it was yeah, it was a just really well done physically. And and like I said, I'm still trying to figure out what <laughs> what did I do that year that I can can take and, and move forward. Yeah. Yeah, because you had a number of great results that year and yeah. and also I mean, I guess for most athletes though, like they, you know, would want to between races to go back home to like rest, recover, like get into their, keep a pretty routine 
training calendar and and that sort of thing between races. But yeah, it sounds like you were just kind of winging it and and having fun, maybe more than anything else. Yeah, just just bouncing around. <laughs> and then I guess like the second half of the season, I ended up in Hever City, where where Keegan Swenson lives, and. Mm-hmm kind of started to establish that as as a sort of home base mm. and start doing more training with him as well which which worked out for me going into the Mongolia bike challenge that I did that year mm. which is a big 6-day stage race in Mongolia and super super awesome event and yeah was was ready for that and then I did marathon worlds that year as well mm. it was also in in Italy but that was yeah, like a, a huge year did that and then went back to Australia and raced mountain bikes. And I think I did a road stage race tour of Tasmania in, yeah, I think that was November, but yeah, it was like, I just kept, just kept going and it, it worked out. <laughs> so then, yeah, been trying to do that since then. And I think I need to like step back and maybe <laughs> do a little less, <laughs> a little less right. racing and, and traveling. I think I'm, based in salt lake now and it's kind of nice to to be home and just mm-hmm. hang out and, and get into the routine again yeah yeah well even if you had wanted to do that in 2020 and then this year it probably would have been tough because a lot of races got canceled or moved around or or whatever and so yeah i guess 2018 those were the good old days when you <laughs> had your pick of races all over the world yeah and and hopefully hopefully we'll be back to that <laughs> yeah, and I, I wasn't interested in doing any gravel either. So it was just like mm. mountain bike all the time. Yeah. And it was awesome. Yeah. Well, we mentioned uh, sort of the difference between the World Cup races, particularly the short track and, and XC being shorter races compared to the longer events that you do. And it looks like just a few days after the World Cup in West Virginia, you competed in the Pikes Peak Apex in Colorado Springs. Which again is a very different type of event where I imagine there weren't a lot of crowds and it was just kind of you and the bike and the trail. Like, what was that turnaround like for you? Like going from West Virginia to Colorado and, and from this like huge race to like another a race that, that maybe wasn't as well attended or, or covered by the media? I think that it was a, it was a good turnaround. I had done the, Pikes Peak I did last year was their first year that they managed to run with with COVID and everything going on, mm-hmm. and had a had an awesome time. There weren't weren't really crowds either year. wasn't a huge spectating event, but as far as the like physical aspect of them, it wasn't that much different to an XCO. Like besides the fact that it was four days in a row. Like mm-hmm. the longest stage was only two and a half hours, I think, or two forty maybe mm-hmm. was the longest day. So that's still a pretty like XCO ish yeah. length of race. Super different in that they suit really long climbs, like an hour, forty minute to an hour long climb, mm-hmm. followed by by longer descents. So definitely more more fun riding just because you get to descend for for 20 minutes after you climb for an hour yeah the climb the hour-long climb is kind of rough but then then you get to get to rip the descents and it's it's a lot of fun and 
I stayed with stayed with Russell Finstewald, so that was that was a good time too. I hadn't mm-hmm. caught up with him a whole lot through the year, so it's and it was fun. Like Keegan was there, Riley Amos was there, Todd Todd Wells. There was like all these <laughs> these yeah. superstars of of the sport current and past, and it was definitely a yeah difference between like not having this the spectators that snowshoe has mm-hmm. but also kind of has that fun local like local race feel to it yeah yeah so yeah they do a good they put on a good event and hopefully it'll continue to grow this was their second year okay and yeah definitely definitely a cool race and hoping to to get back again next year yeah yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I lived in Colorado Springs for four years and yeah, I was looking over the stages and everything from the race and I was like, oh man, like I, I love every one of those trails. It's so much fun to ride out there and um, it's really cool to see that race going and, and cool that it's attracting, you know, top talent like yourself out there to ride those trails. But I did a bigger, a, a bigger swap when I did Unbound and then a week later, Missoula Pro XCT. Oh, yeah, I bet. So I went from a 12-hour race to an XCO race with a, with a week turnaround, Ooh. <laughs> which actually went really well. Yeah, yeah. which is better, to do like a long event first or to do a, a shorter event first? A short event first, I would have to say. Like, <laughs> yeah, you, you go and ride your bike for 12 hours and then try to be ready for a 20 minute race the following friday it's like (laughs) you're still recovering on wednesday you're like man i'm still sore from from sitting on a bike seat for 12 hours (laughs) yeah wow well one of the things you're passionate about is raising awareness for ms so how'd you get involved in the cause that one so my my dad was diagnosed probably it's coming up on 10 years ago now so like mm-hmm. just about when i left home to go to to go to college mm-hmm. around 2012 he was diagnosed and it was kind of a long process to get to that diagnosis cuz it's not that mm. clear of of ways to to look for it they, it can be a lot of different things so they do run mm. all these tests and then kind of wind up at oh it's ms so he started with mm. some tingling and numbness in his in his legs and it slowly but not slowly progressed pretty quickly so in the past Mm. maybe three it's been three or four years he's been in a wheelchair so kind of Mm. when that happened i was like man i need to do something to to show my my support and to help not only him but anyone else in the future who has ms who Mm -hmm. could have better resources or better treatments or more ability to Hmm. continue doing the sports that that they love so so that was kind of how it started and i've been doing the the utah chapter of the bike ms like bike ms has rides in all 50 states mm-hmm. so that's kind of what i've kind of grown or joined into that that ride and i found a cool team to be a part of that are all all my friends now that i, I hang out with outside of that event so that's one thing on the calendar that I'm like, if anything conflicts with that, like it's too bad. I'm not going to that race. Mm. I'm going to, <laughs> to do the fundraiser. Yeah. And to have like, it gets bigger and bigger every year with like this year, Ventum, the the gravel company that I 
race four, they donated a frame to and TJ Eisenhart, who is a good artist and does some super cool work. They kind of collaborated to to do this custom frame that we auctioned off, and then mm-hmm. that gained traction. So now we have Technar who does custom, like actually does custom painted frames. Mm-hmm. Helped out with TJ to do it like to do it more professionally than mm-hmm. than what we did because we did we did yeah. my frame first to kind of launch the auction mm-hmm. and it was it looks super rad but it it's like the paint's all chipping because we didn't clear coat it properly <laughs> and all this like yeah. yeah this stuff so i was like if someone actually paid <laughs> paid a lot of money to <laughs> to have this right. bike and it and then it does it starts chipping within like the first ride it's like we got to do it a little better <laughs> Yeah, well, that's cool. I mean, MS traditionally has had a lot of support through cycling events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know, like, what is that connection? Is it just, it's just, it started out like that and now there's rides all over the place? Like, do you know, is there a connection between the two? I'm, I honestly don't know. I feel like there must have been someone who was an avid cyclist and then got MS and couldn't ride anymore, but wanted to continue. Mm-hmm continue with that but yeah there's a lot of and that's i mean that's how i found out about it was like right was super into riding and my dad got ms and Mm -hmm. then i was like oh there's an event that is literally riding your bike and you can can raise raise money and raise awareness and and it's really cool there's they have these perks and everything for people who and people who ride and who have MS and still are able to ride mm-hmm. and participate in the event. It's really cool sort of, I guess, community involvement with, with everybody who's at the ride, Yeah, getting involved and being super supportive. And that, that to me is, is really super fun and great to, to hear great. And sometimes really hard as well to hear people's stories about how MS has affected their life and to, but just to have that connection and be able to talk with people about about that and and about my dad and his experience and kind of being able to to relate to to this awesome group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like you had a good example growing up too. I mean, you mentioned your family was doing these charity rides long time ago when you were just a kid, and so yeah, it's like you're you're carrying on that tradition and and doing what you can, which is really awesome. So you've literally ridden your bike, it sounds like, all over the world. Probably all continents except Antarctica. Have you ridden in Africa? I've not ridden in Africa and I have I ridden in I guess does Mongolia count as Asia? Yeah, that's that seems solidly in Asia. Yeah. yeah I'm no no geographer, but yeah, sounds right. Well so what's your what's your favorite place to ride? Do you have a favorite trail or are you always looking to, to try something new? I'm always always looking for something new. I think my yeah. I have to say, even still, my favorite place to ride is is Alice Springs, just because mm. I grew up riding the trails there. They actually have, I want to say, a hundred ish miles of single track. Wow, that's all just rideable. Like you can ride from your front door. Mm-hmm. What's the terrain like there? I imagine it's flat, but is it is it pretty hilly? It's pretty flat. It's like rolling. It's rolly. There's nothing really too steep. Pretty. It's rocky and sandy. Mm-hmm. I would say if I was to compare it to 
like writing style or like to a place it'd be pretty similar to tucson arizona oh okay and the climate's really similar to that as well but i think as far as like riding and it's cool they're super active building new trails like every time i go home there's i don't even recognize like where i am i'll take a turn that i thought was the the old like route that i took and then i'd end up on this yeah on this next hill and be like what where am i like i got no idea <laughs> wow. where i am and then i'll like go down the hill and like oh there's the the old trail so they're like always building these new yeah trails in the network but that and my other favorite place or trail would have to be the high country outside of durango mm, yeah riding mollus like mollus to town graysill mountain i'd have to say those are some of the best best rides they're they're remote like you got no cell service you're out there mm-hmm. just in the in the mountains like above tree line some of the time you can barely breathe you're like oh okay <laughs> but then yeah just super cool to go out on a, a big big day with your buddies and like just have have fun riding bikes and yeah. try not to get stuck in some gnarly weather (laughs) (laughs) right trying to be smart about that like you got to get out early yeah that's that's what makes that kind of riding for sure more special is because it's not available for most of the year i mean you got a a short window and then even within that window like you're saying you know you got storms that roll through and so yeah yeah i think a lot of us can identify with that you know trails that are are special that you can only ride a few times a year well, I see that you posted a cooking show on your Instagram last month, and I guess you're sponsored by a hot sauce company, and so it was kind of connected with that. Are you a good cook? I can follow a recipe pretty well, <laughs> but I wouldn't yeah. I wouldn't say that I'm a good cook <laughs> or really that creative. I guess if you watch the cooking show stuff, then then you might think i'm creative but yeah you're i I would say you're creative for sure (laughs) yeah so that el yucateco is a big supporter of the epic ride series and kind of got to or then i started doing these cooking shows last year during the like when we were in lockdown and Mm -hmm. keegan and i were were bored and sophia his his girlfriend was like you should cook these and she showed me this picture of some gross looking like hot dog cut into pieces that was speared with spaghetti and then you cook it and it's all just nasty oh my goodness and then so that like that was the first episode and people got people were stoked on that so we started doing it like on a weekly basis we were like making these weekly <laughs> cooking shows that turned into the octodog where you cut the hot dog and it's got these legs and then you fry it or cook it or i would put it like in a in a meatloaf or in a like casserole or something yeah um but then we had this this hot sauce left over from the the epic rides races so i would like finish it off by drizzling that and wearing my hand up gloves i'd like (laughs) pull stuff out of the oven when it was super hot and try not to burn my hands so (laughs) it was like yeah like the the hand up pot holder wow (laughs) well they did and then they ended up coming out with a, a oven mitt like a a special oven mitt for me so that was that was super cool that was like the first custom thing i've ever gotten <laughs> but then yeah the hot sauce like adding that in as well was was like oh these guys are a huge supporter of epic rides so we'll like 
have fun with that. And I like I like spicy food, but I don't mm-hmm. handle it very well. So it's always funny <laughs> to be like, I'd put this hot sauce on and just be dripping sweat. Yeah, like when I'm trying to eat this this weird dish that I just made. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you you definitely have a lot of fun, and your sponsors too are like seemed like the perfect connection, right? Like between you and them, like their brand and like what you're doing and, and everything. I'm curious though, you're, you're saying the hot dog stuff you were making was nasty. Do you eat healthy during the race season? Like is, is hot dog like a big part of your diet or are you, you eating a little healthier than that? I generally try to eat a little healthier than that. I haven't been doing those cooking shows that much this year. So Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a whole lot of a whole lot of hot dog conception. That is something that I like. I do need to work a little more on. Um, is my my diet? I don't have like I wouldn't say that I eat unhealthily, but I could eat eat better. Yeah, it's got to be hard on the road. That and sometimes I don't. I also work for a Trainer Road just part time, but like. If I have a big ride and then I work in the afternoon and then it's like 6.30 and I haven't even thought about dinner and I like open the fridge and I'm like, I got nothing in here. Like, what am I going to eat? So then I have to like scramble and sometimes I don't eat till like 8.30 at night. And it's like, that's that's more what I need to, that I'm trying to get better about eating at, at reasonable hours and eating the right stuff before workouts to be appropriately, to be fueled correctly for those so so there's a lot more to it but i don't eat don't eat many hot dogs <laughs> those are just for the, just for the cooking show um, yeah that's that's good to know and yeah yeah i mean to race at your level too there's there's no way that you could be eating all those hot dogs so <laughs> just white bread, white bread and hot dogs it's like no that's not what i eat sorry <laughs> yeah yeah. But, well, what's next on your 2021 race calendar? I've got uh, this weekend coming up the Epic Rides Oz Trails Off Road mm-hmm. in Bentonville. Uh, so that's got we've got a fat tire crit on Friday night, and then they usually run the backcountry or like the marathon 45 mile race on sunday but this year they changed it up so we're racing saturday morning at 7 a.m oh geez after racing the crit on friday night at 6 p.m so we got like another short (laughs) yeah we got we got about a 12 hour turnaround between finish and start what's the strategy like for that i mean do you yeah are you gonna take it easy or i mean i guess most of the athletes would want to take it easy in the crit because the the big race is the next day or or do some people say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to win the crit and then, you know, just see what happens in the, the bigger race. I, most people still end up racing the, the crit hard. Yeah. You can't which, turn it off. Which is interesting. Cause it's like, yeah, you, you you're like, oh, I'm going to just float this one and not, not really compete in the, cause it doesn't really affect call up or anything on, uh, on Sunday or Saturday. It's just purely for a for show. Um, they they do have preems and prize like prize money for the crit, but yeah, it's interesting when as soon as everyone lines up on the start line, it's like oh, no one's <laughs> no one's taking it easy. People are taking flyers mm-hmm. and like going like sending long shots and yeah, it, 
yeah, it's an it's an interesting concept because it's on the road. It's not a it's not a dirt crit. It's on it's like a crit crit, but you're on your mountain bike, but you've got slicks on it. It's like yeah. Oh yeah. Are there like obstacles or ramps or anything? Like I've I've seen Eliminator, which has a lot of that. Um, but yeah, this is just on a flat street. They're not always flat. This one's got a little like little dip and and climb in it. It's kind of a I don't know the right way to describe it. It's not a figure eight, but it looks like an eight on its side and it just touch. But that's a good point. They should do something like a supermoto style where it's got like jumps and a little bit of dirt and yeah. then you've got you come back onto the road and yeah, that's a I'll have to talk to the talk to the event organizers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bring in a couple of truckloads of dirt. Cool. Well, yeah. What else after the epic rides? Any more, or are you you taking the rest of twenty twenty one off? I'm gonna I'm gonna call it after this this weekend. So yeah, it's been a it's been a long season trying to do so many different types of racing, and I haven't been that good about taking time off that I needed. Been like I did a eight or nine week straight block of racing that included Unbound and BWR and Mountain Bike Nationals and Missoula. And I think there was something else in there that was like, yeah, this, this long block. So I'm going to, after this one, I'll, I'll be done racing for the season. Mm-hmm. I might have another fundraising event in November in California and then Sedona Mountain Bike Fest in mid November down in Sedona. So oh, right. yeah. those, but they're not, not racing, just doing, some more more fun riding and and hanging out so which like you mentioned earlier that's like I'm, i like to have fun so <laughs> and, and uh and also to bring it back like the the companies that i work with are all really cool and supportive of of that sort of like they understand that's part of the energy that i bring to the table and mm-hmm. can still race fast but also like to hang out with people after the race or yeah. do <laughs> make a cooking show or <laughs> like wear jorts in the the jort track yeah they've been super supportive of these fun ideas that are that are different but get people excited about about bikes so yeah that's been really yeah. cool with that in mind i mean do, what are your goals do you have other things that you're hoping to do outside of racing to, to get more people into biking or to help other people get faster. I mean, you mentioned that you work with trainer road and, you know, it sounds like, sounds like there are a lot of opportunities. So how do you kind of decide and prioritize uh, what you want to do outside of racing? I think, Oh, that's not even a question that I've ever thought about <laughs> for, for getting people <laughs> excited about, about riding bikes or getting People don't have to get into racing if like it's not for it's not for everybody. But I think Mm -hmm. if I can get people excited to get out and riding bikes, then that's that's good for society as a whole. If we can get more people outside and active, and I think seeing through like over the pandemic where it seems like from from the uh lack of availability of bike stuff and how quickly stuff sold out last year 
I think that's a good sign that more people are riding bikes. So mm-hmm. hopefully they didn't just buy bikes and then they're going to sit in the shed for another 10 years. Right. Well, if they did, they can use your motivation. I mean, that that's, that's <laughs> your thing then is to get people like, you guys have bikes. Let's do it. Let's ride. Yeah. And I guess that's, like I said, I haven't really thought about that side of it, even though I think it's cool uh, or it'd be cool to to get people outside on bikes, interacting with people at, at events who, who are like kind of into riding or are like there to, to check it out, mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I show up, I'm wearing jorts, like having, <laughs> obviously having, having fun riding my bike and big smile. And I think that I still, yeah, like I said, I have to find a way to, to share that. Like I think looking at what Win Masters does, it's like people know him as the wheelie guy. Like he, <laughs> right. it's like people are excited to see what he's doing. Like wheelie Wednesday, you know, every Wednesday he's doing a wheelie. So if, right. yeah, if there's stuff, I mean, even just NICA, the whole high school league mm. and things like that, local, local club races that are, have high energy and, and everybody's kind of welcome to do it. It's not, and it's not super expensive. Like, the the entry fees are what ten bucks or fifteen bucks for mm-hmm. for adults and sometimes kids can can race for free so I think that that side of the sport is is where we can get more people into it is like on the local sort of local level and then the high school level where where kids are hopefully where we're hopefully creating lifelong cyclists where kids are enjoying it and not just <laughs> feeling like they have to be competitive. It's like, I know at, at Fort Lewis, the cycling team has like the, the varsity team and the club team and like everybody's there because they like riding their bikes. It's like whether they're there to be competitive that, or there to go camping for a weekend and, and ride bikes with, with a bunch of other people who like riding bikes. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I guess long story short, I don't know how to, what I'm specifically going to do, but I think there are a lot of things that are happening that can and hopefully will help the sport of cycling. So yeah, for sure. Well, it sounds like you are doing it and yeah, you're going to keep doing it, which is really awesome. And yeah, I, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and to share your stoke for mountain biking. It's definitely contagious and something that I think a lot of people are excited to hear about and to see. So thank you. Yeah. And thank you for, for having me on and, and giving me the, a bit of a platform to share my stoke. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's been, yeah, it's been great catching up and honestly, I haven't, shared my story that much so it's been fun to to actually think about it and not just <laughs> not just go out and have fun and wear jorts so to kind of think about how i got here has been has been really fun and yeah thanks for thank you for the opportunity it's been it's been awesome absolutely well you can follow ryan on instagram and also keep up with him online at ryanstandish.com that's all we've got this week we'll talk to you again next week